right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bourbon Showdown podcast. My name's Jesse Jones, and joining me on the show this week, we have Vaughn Weaver, founder and CEO of Uncle Nearest. Uh, this was one of those conversations where I didn't have to do much. This lady comes out of the gate like a pistol. Yes, I said pistol. I am a 1,003 years old. Her passion just comes through, though. She loves this, and it comes across that she loves this, and her passion for the history behind this brand and wanting to just give one of whiskey's unsung heroes of history's past his identity back. And that is what she has done uh, with the Uncle Nearest brand. She was a wonderful, wonderful person to talk to and just so knowledgeable about what she has been doing and about the whiskey that she is producing. So I don't think there's anything else to be said. The story that she tells is so good and the way she tells it is it's with such sincerity that it's just a it was a pleasure I just sat back I really I just sat back and I listened and and the story was so damn good that it, it, it's it's just as good as the whiskey so sit back relax we've got a wonderful episode for you today if you would please hit subscribe hit like go see Will Jones in Nashville Tennessee listen to some Tennessee music then buy you a bottle of Uncle Nearest and drink some Tennessee whiskey uh, it, a phenomenal conversation. So thank you, Fawn, for being on the program. We're going to get started right now. This is the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. Fawn Weaver, Uncle Nearest. Let's start the show. Thank you so much for being on the show today. We have Fawn Weaver, CEO of Uncle Nearest. Thank you for having me, Jesse. I, I, I'm so been looking forward to talking to you today and just learning more about the history of this brand, about the person. Uh, uh, thank you for coming on and talking to me. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Did you know when you got started with all this that it was going to lead you down like such a <laughs> such a path? No, I'm the child of two teetotalers. Absolutely not. So, uh, no, I, I did know that the story was very interesting. I, I knew that if I could prove the story, it would be absolutely amazing. But beyond that, no. And, and how did you get in, involved? In, like, how, how did you become aware of this? I think I initially became aware the same way everyone else did was the initial New York Times article that Clay Risen did that literally went everywhere. I, I really don't know anyone who did not see it. Even if they didn't read the whole story, they saw it somewhere. And I, I learned about it the same way. The difference is that I happened to be in Singapore when it was on the cover of the New York Times International Edition. And so I the the the, the title was a little different and it was on the cover there versus here where it was on the cover of the food section. But other than that, the same way everyone else originally found out was through Clay Risen's piece in the New York Times. And so you read this and, and you think, wow, there's something here. I want to I want to dig a little deeper. Yeah, well, I, you know, I think it wasn't even what was there because there wasn't a whole lot there. It was more of oral history that had been passed down. And Clay Risen's is a good friend of mine. I know I now understand what he was doing and he was doing what a lot of journalists do if they have limited resources, which is almost all of them, even before the pandemic. And you're in this this now this this society where journalism, you have to really get on a story very quickly to beat someone else to the Internet. Right. And so they're pumping out so much. And so for a lot of them. 
They don't have the time. They don't have the resources to really do investigative journalism. And so what they'll do is they'll essentially lob it up. They'll take what information they were able to gain, whether it's oral history or whatever else, and they'll put it out there in hopes that someone else will, as, as Clay says, that someone would take the ball and finish the play. Right, right. And he said in all of the years that he has been lobbing up these stories. I was the first. I was the first one that actually took the ball and truly finished the play. Uh, so he said he could retire now. He feels good about it. <laughs> but for for Clay, when he did this story, he got what he could, and he spoke to Claude Eady, Mr. Claude Eady, who. Uh, the, the paper had as a descendant of Nearest, and he actually isn't, at least not by blood. I mean, he's, it's it's pretty distant. It's like Nearest's sister married a man who had to, you know, it's like it's like that where the branch kind of goes like this and then down and over it. That's, you know, Claude. But under there was a huge picture of Claude in the paper, and underneath it, it said descendant of Nearest Green. But if you actually read the article, Claude said when asked, how are you related? He says, I don't know. My mama just told me I was kin. Yeah. So it was it was that kind of story, right? The true Southern it was, relation. It was, yeah, it was just that's that is the way that the story was was written because that was what he was able to gather. And so the the main crux of the story was that up until that point, a, a white preacher and distiller by the name of Dan Cole had been credited with being the teacher of a, a young Jack Daniel, but what this story was saying is, is it was far more likely than the, that the enslaved man on Dan Cole's property by the name of Near Screen was actually the one who taught him. And if you saw the original article, did you see the original article? I watched the summation of the original article. Like okay. the, the original article, you, you've now grown into like this entire uh, uh, hemisphere <laughs> of information <laughs> that the original article <laughs> is not that easy to like actually ascertain be, because you've got no, to like you know, and, dig and through. Yeah. Yeah, and it's actually intentional because that original article spelled his name wrong. It spelled it as N E A R I S, okay. and that was built. That was based on an incorrect spelling in the 1880 census. That the census taker was spelling it phonetically, right. and Nearest Green could not read or write. And so he was an incredibly skilled distiller, but he couldn't read or write. And so for a census taker saying, "How do you spell your name?" You know, his response is, "I don't know," right? But his his name was spelled N E A R E S T. And so what we've done over time, and a part of it is Clay Risen, the following year did a story on the research that I had uncovered and the name was spelled correctly. So that's the story that generally comes up now. That's so if funny. You, that was, yeah. I, I was like, you could find reference to it everywhere, but you can't yeah. find the actual thing. <laughs> and, and, and a couple of my guys, they were even like, um, don't be mad. <laughs> uh -oh. We can't find the thing. And I'm like, well, let me, <laughs> let me look. And then I looked and I couldn't find the thing. I'm like, wow, they have done a great job because the story that you do find is the yeah. story uh, in its entirety, like, yes. like the full story. So you guys have yeah. done a great job making sure that when you look it up, you can find like the right thing. Absolutely. And it was, I mean, we, there were well over a hundred, a couple of hundred, if I remember, uh, online publications, we had to reach into and ask them to update the name. Really? That, I mean, it was to try to clean up the internet was, it was pretty, was pretty fierce. And then you had a it's lot a of people task. who had these articles that were just absolutely dragging Jack Daniel through the mud and it was absolutely incorrect. And so those folks, we actually had to 
reach into and go, listen, you got the story wrong. If you'll take it down, we'll give you an update and we'll give you the actual story. And so a lot of the internet got scrubbed because of that, uh, just to make the, make sure that the story was out there accurately. It's crazy how polarizing people can be when it comes to the real story versus the immediate reaction they had to the story. Well, if you think about it, I mean, uh, you, you have an, a, a, an African-American who in 2016, no one had any clue who he was. Right. Yet the person who he taught was the most famous American whiskey maker of all time. Right, right. And you have this story that is coming out in the middle of the first Trump campaign. So everybody's so already the, on heightened freaking emotion. Everybody was already heightened. Both sides were using race as a wedge to prove their point. Right. And so everyone was heightened. And, and so what ended up happening is, is because the story released at in the middle of all of this craziness going on in the political landscape, then you had all of these people, especially social media, that literally grasped it and, and said, this is just another instance of black people being stolen from. And here's the reality is black people have been stolen from. And that is the vast majority of the stories that you're going to find. This story is not only rare, it's an anomaly. And I think that we also have to acknowledge the fact that they, the, they, they took the story, they ran with it, they took it in the wrong direction, but if it was most stories set at that time where a black person's legacy somehow got lost. Right, right, right. <laughs> the, 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 what you would think really happened is not going to be this amazing positive story of love, honor, and respect that we have uncovered surrounding the nearest Green and Jack Daniels story. This is a very rare one. It's, it's one of the reasons that I have, I mean, I've probably given, I don't know how many hundreds of interviews and I never get tired of telling this story, especially in this moment in time where race relations has been real iffy since 2016, mm -hmm. right? I'm 44 and prior to 2016, I had never ever looked at the world through the eyes of race, never, never looked at our country that way. I understood and understand our history, but it's now not how I viewed everything. And because of the events that have occurred, I've had to look at certain things through this, this sort of lens of race to really understand it. And I got to tell you, as a black woman that had, that grew up in a, in a household where my grandmother is German. I mean, she grew up in Hitler's Germany and she married my grandfather, a black serviceman. And so I grew up in a, uh, in a household that was colorblind in that regard. I just did not know anything else, right? And, and I've been beautifully and blissfully unaware uh, of, of anything outside of that, right? That's been my lens for all of these years. And unfortunately, the election of 2016 and then what's transpired and all that, you know, nonsense rhetoric since then has, has, has forced me to have to look at things in, uh, in both, both sides, right? I have right. to look at both ways. And, and uh, that's not been fun. But as it relates to this story, the reality is, is 99.9% .9 of these stories that are coming out of the 19th century, right? 
between a formerly enslaved man or an enslaved man and a white man who went on to prominence. <laughs> right, right. It, you're not going to find that that white man went out of his way to give that black man credit when he was alive. You're not going to find that that white man's descendants all went out of their way to give that black man credit and the descendants of that black man credit. This story is an anomaly, and, and it's why I, I, um, I, get, I feel so fortunate and honored to be able to be the one that gets to share it all day, every day. And that's why I really wanted to talk to you. I like it. And it's not just a story. The beauty of the whole thing that like it, it's he it was unheard of at that time to be getting paid the same and to be treated like an equal. And, and you were yeah. at your place in the business based on your tenure with the company. And, yeah. and it was just it's one of those stories that we we kind of need right now because yes, it, 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 it shows you that you can be no matter what you think is dividing you it doesn't have to right and you can rise above it and you and, can be a person and not have to worry about the rest of it yeah yeah it is it, it's funny because half half of my job is is building the legacy of nearest green the other half seems to be defending the legacy of jack because <laughs> to this day i mean just a, maybe about a week and a half ago maybe two weeks ago there was someone who started a TikTok account, like literally did not have a TikTok account, started a TikTok account. And eight days later, and it's called uh, Black Food Fridays. It's a great TikTok account oh, okay. if you've not watched it. Gives amazing Black history facts. Well, the biggest piece on there is the story of Uncle Nearest. And it's, you know, a quick kind of thing. The last time I looked at it, it had been viewed close to 800,000 times. It had been shared over a hundred and something thousand times. So it's That's great. <laughs> it's great, except here's the thing. So he shares the story very quickly, succinctly. I mean, with TikTok, it's got to be like, boom, 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 right? Right, right. He shares the story. And the majority of it is about this, is about Uncle Nearest Whiskey, right? right? It's about our premium whiskey. And almost immediately you've got tens of thousands of comments that start coming through and sure you just i mean you can like clock it with an egg timer i'm boycotting jack daniels i'm uh. never gonna drink jack daniels and i mean it was like duh, 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 duh. so he reaches into me and he says hey fawn you know i don't know if you want to respond to this and i mean at the time i had a day like today where it was back to back to back to back and i was like look I will try to squeeze it in. I'll try to get it done. And I, I literally recorded a video and said, y'all have lost your minds yet again. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I had to set the record straight again. I had to do it again yesterday on Instagram with comments that we're posting. And so, so I, I spend a, the majority of my time is spent cementing the legacy of near screen, but a good amount of my time <laughs> is spent responding to people who incorrectly make Jack Daniel the bad guy when he was absolutely a good guy in in this story. And I think that that for me, that piece of it is really important that it is told and that is accurate. And the reason why it's important is if you look at I mean, you're you you do bourbon all the time, right? If you think about every how long have you had this podcast? Uh, we're going on our second season right now. Okay, and how long have you been tasting bourbon, studying bourbon, talking to bourbon makers? Yep, yep. Right? Quite a while. How many of them 
have ever mentioned a black person in their history, period? Uh, an interesting question. The majority of what we talk about is is more the flavor profile and and what you're getting from it. But to your point, the history involved around it, none. And most of them have a name on the label that is a white man, right? Right. Right. The only reason we know who Nears Green is, and by the way, he is still the only African-American master distiller whose name we know, and we know there was more of them, but he's the only one whose name we know. You can walk through every distillery in Kentucky, in Indiana, in Maryland, in Pennsylvania, it doesn't matter, outside of what uh, Steve Bashore and those guys are doing up at Mount Vernon and uncovering the stories of all of those enslaved people that work those steels up there. Outside of that, you are not going to know the name of a single black person who was involved in building this industry we all love. The only reason we're all talking about Nears Green is he's the only one who we know by name. Right. And the only reason we know him by name is because Jack and his family documented it so many times. And so I feel always a burden to make sure that people know that because there is no Fawn Weaver telling this story and there is no story of Nearest Green and his sons, George, Eli, and Lewis, and his grandson, Ott, and his grandson, Charlie. And there, we don't know any of that stuff in this industry if he and his family hadn't made sure that we, uh, that, that we remembered who they were. And because of that, we know that Nearest Green was the best whiskey maker in the Lynchburg area. All 16 of those distilleries didn't hold a candle to what Nearest Green did. And so for us, it's so important that we not only share Nearest's legacy, but one of the reasons, as I'm sure you see, that we're the most awarded American whiskey, including bourbon of 2019, of 2020, we have pretty much swept all the awards. We've taken everything at the top, but it's because we have to live up to his legacy. Right. We have to make sure that the juice in the bottle represents who Nearest Green was. And that man was a man of excellence. Well, and that was one of the things I wanted to ask you, because while I was researching this, uh, it was noted that he was chronicled in the original Jack Daniel biography. Uh, why did it take so long for the story to, because the family was obviously not hiding from his contribution. Why did it take so long for this story to come out? Like, it seems like everybody was okay with it being a part of the history or is, or is that incorrect? Like what? what, yeah, what yeah, no, that's not correct. <laughs> okay, perfect. That's what so, I wanted to know. Yeah. You got to remember that, that Jack Daniel, he turned his distillery over, even though Jack didn't pass away until uh, 19, oh, I've got to go back and look at his death, his death certificate, 1911. 1911. I always confuse him and George Green. One of them died in 1910, one George died in 1911. But either way it goes, I think it was Jack died in 1910. So if you go back, uh, in 1907 is when he turned the distillery over to his nephew, Lim Motlow. Okay. Now, under, Lim's, under Jack's watch, everybody knew who Nears Green was. They knew he was his teacher. They knew he was his mentor. They knew he was the master distiller for distillery number seven. He was the only known master distiller for distillery number seven. They, they made sure that everybody knew that, right? Jack made sure. Then Lim took over and Lim made sure that everyone knew the significance and the importance of not only Nearest, 
but the nearest sons who were working alongside Lim. So that's George. Uh, it's interesting because uh, they call him Daddy George. Daddy George raised a woman by the name of Helen Butler, who uh, passed away not too long ago, which was his granddaughter. And she was telling me how Lim, that Lim, and everybody knows this about Lim, especially here in, in Lynchburg, Lim, he enjoyed his drink. <laughs> and when he got drunk, so, you know, he could be a mean drunk. And, and so he would talk to people all kind of crazy. And she said that she remembers how often someone would call or show up at the doorstep and say, you got to come talk to Lim. George was the only person who could talk to Lim when Lim had been drinking. Go, Lim, you can't talk to people like that. Lim, you can't treat people like that. Literally the only person. And I think, you know, people say that when you're drunk, you do things you wouldn't do it. I don't believe that. I think being drunk actually exposes who you really are. It heightens what it. What you really think. And I think the fact that anytime Lim was drunk, the only person who could come and get him and talk to him was George. I think that that says a lot about his respect for not only George, but then the other descendants of Nears who worked alongside him. And then he passed the distillery on to his four sons and they continued that legacy. The book Jack Daniels Legacy wasn't written during Jack's life and it was written at the very end of, of Lim's, but who was mostly interviewed for that book were Lim's kids were those four that were running with, they call them the shirt sleeve brothers because they always wore these shirt sleeves. Um, but those four kids, those those boys were the ones who were carrying on the legacy of, of Jack Daniels. And until 1978, when Reger was the last of the descendants of Jack to run the distillery, he was the president, then he left the presidency, but remained on the board. So he still remained a force to be reckoned with. And, and nobody was, was like shaking the apple cart or messing up the apple cart, whatever that phrase is, when, when Reger was around. Reger died in 1978. Until 1978, the story was not only a part of the history, but it was actually on the tours. It was actually a part of the tour display. I mean, until Reger died, it was a part of the story. By 1979, the story had disappeared. What happened? Now, I don't know. I couldn't tell you that. And here's my thing, though, and, and this is just to know who I am, is I don't think it benefits Nearest and his legacy for me to dig and keep going on and on about how did the story disappear, because that has nothing to do with Nearest's legacy. True. What it has to do with Nearest's legacy is everything that happened before that period of time. Right. And so that is just bringing that forward and telling that story and making sure people knew who he was. But his uh, great, great granddaughter, she she remembers she actually lives in, in Houston and she recalls the day that her mother called her in 1979 because she had taken friends to the distillery for a tour, which she had done many times before in order for her friends to all hear about her great granddad, right. Mary's Green. And it wasn't until uh, 1979, she took a group of friends there and then she called her daughter and, and informed her that her, her great-grandfather was no longer a part of the story. So what happened, I couldn't tell you, but I can, I can say without question and with 100% accuracy that the story wasn't lost under Jack or under his descendants. Uh, it, it speaks so much for your character that you go out of your way to not only protect the legacy of nearest, but also the legacy of Daniel in his, in their, in their 
relationship that they had. It, it really, Listen, cause if you, you look at the uncle nearest brand, right? We went from zero states to 50 states in less than two years, right? Yes, you did. We went from one store to 21,000 in three, a little over three years. I mean, we're the fastest growing independent American whiskey brand in US history. We have the most award, you, all these different things. Listen, I'm not that good. I have to believe <laughs> that there is somebody in heaven that is playing puppet strings, right? And I've done a lot of research into who Jack is and what his background is. I've done a lot of research into Nearest and I've concluded Nearest really don't give a damn. It wasn't his personality. He was just, he was very sure of who he was. He was confident in who he was, but all this hoopla, he wouldn't have cared about. I, right. I really truly believe that. Who it did matter to was Jack. And so the, I think a part of the reason why I feel so connected is, is if you if you put my feet to a fire and said, who is in heaven that's playing puppet strings, I would put my money on Jack. And so it, it's important to me because I do believe that he's up there going, tell me, Tell my mentor's story. Right. Tell my teacher's story. Do to him what everybody else has done to me, and uh, and make sure his names go. His name goes down in the history books. I look at that, and so that is a consideration that I have every day when I get up and I work. So I take it very, very personal when when people th say negative things about him as a person, as a man. But that's awesome. That is such a great way to bring the story together. And uh, for, for anybody that's unfamiliar, which which you have to be living under a rock right now not to have heard this story, uh, <laughs> but it's such a good story. Um, Jack Daniel, he was an orphan and he came to work for uh, Dan, Dan, Call. Dan Call. And uh, I, I hate calling him Uncle Nearest. His real name was Nathan? Well, here's the thing is you shouldn't hate calling him Uncle Nearest because that was a, a term of endearment okay, and respect okay. in Lynchburg. If you lived here where, where I am right now, we call him Uncle Jack. And when Jack was alive, he had a bottle called Uncle Jack. Perfect. So that don't don't look at that as a negative thing. That was really their way here in Lynchburg and this area. I'm in Shelbyville right now, but literally Lynchburg is a stone's throw this way. Uh, it, that was absolutely a term of endearment. Perfect. And Nathan, on the other hand, uh, Nearest did not use Nathan. Okay. And neither did his children or his grandchildren. Their legal documents, marriage, birth certificates, death certificates, they list him as Nearest. And so one of the things you'll find about enslaved people, many of them were named after either their masters or their slave traders. And the biggest slave trader in this area, trading over a thousand slaves a year per his tax records, was also the original Ku Klux Klan grand wizard and that is a man by the name of nathan bedford forrest so so of course i'm not excited about the yeah. name nathan yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i am very happy to call him uncle nearest i was gonna say he's uncle nearest all day long i think people get so all in day. their heads about what's disrespectful or what could possibly be misconstrued that that yeah they're everybody's just worried about doing things the right way right now uh it's yeah. but it's awesome to know that that is a term of endearment and that, that it is something to be celebrated and and yeah to your point, I wouldn't want to be called Nathan either at that, at, at, nope. if, if that was the scenario. <laughs> 
Not at all. You can you can keep the Nathan. <laughs> and 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 we had we we really had a choice. Do we call him nearest green? Do we call him and there's a Nathan Green bottle back there. We only release one barrel a year. We do it in the UK. And the only reason we do that is to protect the trademark. Otherwise, there would be no Nathan Green bottle. We had no intention of putting out a Nathan Green bottle, but we do that and we have to do it regularly to protect the trademark and to make sure nobody else puts out a Nathan Green bottle. But and, the, and it's a sour the, mash, just just it, it, yeah, just to keep up with that guy's personality. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So we had to determine between Uncle Nears and Nears Green. And if you think about it now, everyone knows Nears Green. They know him as a person. We are going door to door, teaching this legacy, sharing this legacy. But think about it. Back in 2017, when this came out, if you had seen Nears Green on a bottle, it sounds like the closest golf course. That's not a name, right? <laughs> had a, we had, had to a very good game him. the other day at Nearest Green. It was, it was, uh, I, 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 shot, exactly. I shot well. Exactly. So we had to define him first as a human being. And trust me, there were, everybody was going back and forth on this uncle side. I had people that were like, you are going to absolutely get hammered calling him uncle. And I'm like, yeah, but people won't know who he is if we come out calling him Nearest Green. Right. And so we made the decision to call him what everyone here called him, which it, which was Uncle Nearest. But if you come out to our distillery, which is a stone's throw that way, uh, then it's called Nearest Green Distillery. And the reason why we did it that way is, is Uncle Nearest is our tribute to him. That is us commemorating him on a bottle. But Nearest Green Distillery, it's my belief that if during that period of time, he would have been able to own his own distillery, if he would have named it after himself, it would have been nearest green distillery. So that that's the reason for those two distinctions. That's phenomenal. And and so as the story, as the real as the real story goes, he was Jack Daniels mentor. And he was the one because Dan Call had he he produced whiskey, but he was not making the whiskey. Somebody else. Well, here's, was the, here's the thing. The th thing about Jack's book is it says that that Dan Cole asked Nearest to teach. Dan Cole set specifically says that Nearest Green is the best whiskey maker he knows of and asked Nearest to teach Jack. But he also says, uh, at least in the biography, I will also teach you everything that I know. So it's not to say that that Dan Cole did not also teach Jack things that right. he knew. And, and I think we have this cancel culture, right? Yeah. It's like in order to credit Nearest, we've got to completely erase Dan Cole, which is just crazy. And so we don't know what piece of it uh, Nearest taught and what piece of it Dan Cole taught. What we do know is that Dan Cole was a preacher and he married a teetotaler in 1856. And the temperance movement was running through his church and the teetotaler movement was running through his house and all on this same property, which we own this 313 acre property, you have like the house here. And then if you are, were to walk about 25 minutes on the same property, the church is here. And if you were to walk about 25 minutes this way, the distillery was there. So he literally had a triangle and he was keeping all of his worlds separate. And so he would not have spent a lot of time at the distillery because, well, it would have been a problem at home with his wife right. and a problem with the members of his church. And so that is, I think that's where it becomes very unique in that Nearest Green had full charge of the steel because of the circumstances around Dan Call. But that doesn't mean that Dan Call did not also teach him something. Uh, 
I honestly think what you're doing right now is what most people should be doing when they're telling the history of anything. You're going out of your way not to let any member of the story be overshadowed from the part that they played. Do you know how rare that is in today's culture? Because it could have very easily gone the other way where you just decided to go, yes. You could have said when people came at you with questions about one-sided answers, you could have just said yes and let that be. But the fact that you obviously feel so passionately about giving everybody the reality of the scenario is 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 truly remarkable for the age that we're in right now i think it's what nears green would have done that's and a, that's if i'm going to represent answer. him and represent him well i have to represent his spirit sure and that's... there is nothing about his spirit that involved hate there was nothing about his spirit that involved prejudice bigotry that just wasn't a part of his DNA. He came to this country, he was an enslaved man. That is not easy. And the fact that he overcame it after being an enslaved person and was able to create this amazing life. Like when you come to our distillery and you see the photos of his children and his grandchildren, you'd have zero clue that they were the children and the grandchildren of a formerly enslaved person. I mean, Honestly, you put their pictures up against Jack's family and you would absolutely think that Nearest's family was the wealthy <laughs> family. I mean, he created this and you absolutely could not do that if you were holding on to your past. Right. And so in order for him to pass that amazing legacy on to his children and his grandchildren, he had to allow the past to be the past, allow the sins of the people who committed the sins to be leveled solely with them, but also to acknowledge the people who did not do what those people did. And, and so I, I absolutely feel it necessary for the story to be told correctly and properly, because if I don't do it that way, I'm not honoring nearest. And I sure as hell am not spending all these hours a day to honor someone in a manner in which they would not have wanted to be honored. Well, you're doing it so well. You, you, you really are. Thank you. And I, I think it plays that exact sentiment goes into bourbon being kind of a uh, safe space for people to let all of that other shit that doesn't matter go and just Absolutely. come together in the spirit of what it is and it, it's a, yeah. a, a the history of bourbon is fellowship and 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 coming together as people and and being people and not not trying to do the other things that that we can be so nasty with so yeah it's the great unifier it really right? is it is it allows us to have conversations like this right not many industries in America are able to have a conversation like this because how many of them have a story like this within it where we can actually honor and lift up both races and that it's a legitimate story. It's not a whitewashing. It's not right. a covering up. It's not a it's not a brushing anything under the rug. You only have to know me for two seconds to know that brushing under the rug is not some shit that I do. <laughs> I am who I am. And if you you meet Nearest's eldest descendants, they're the same exact way. His matriarchs and his patriarchs are like, you tell this story and you tell the truth. And 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 so for me, even when people would push back and say, you know, you're glossing over this history, 
I had nearest family, the matriarchs and the patriarchs, and I had them in my head going, don't matter what anybody says, you tell this story and you tell it right. You tell, tell it, it right how way. we remember growing up, that we remember walking through the streets of Lynchburg and getting the same amount of respect as Jack's family. We remember that if we walked into Regor Motlow's office when he was in, in Nashville and he was a, a state senator or uh, just a representative, whatever, can't remember, was he a senator or Regor? Yeah, but whatever he was, state representative, that if they walked into Regor's office unannounced, he would put everybody out. It didn't matter if there were powerful people in there, if there were constituents, and he would just sit there and shoot the breeze with, with Nearest's grandson, Ott, for hours while people just waited. And so these are the stories that I refuse to allow to be forgotten because those are the stories that truly honor Nearest and truly honor his family. Because when you're talking about someone's legacy of excellence, if you leave out how much the most respected people respected them, right, right. you don't tell the whole story. Well, and it, it 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 does it justice to not paint it with the brush of 2020 or 2021. Exactly. Would, exactly. And also, by the way, not to paint it with the brush of the 19th century. Right. Because again, right. we also have to remember and to acknowledge that there is a reason that we only know Nearest Green by name, even though there were thousands of distilleries in Tennessee, thousands of distilleries in, in Kentucky, distilleries all along the East Coast. There's a reason we only know one person's name, and that's because the others did not do this, right, right? right? So what we can't do is pretend that the others did this, okay. that they treated their enslaved people with any level of respect or gave any credit because they didn't. But what we can do while acknowledging that those atrocities happened, we can also acknowledge that there is this, this rare situation that uh, this man was treated with an enormous amount of respect, became the wealthiest African-American in the area and wealthier than many of his white neighbors immediately following the Civil War. That what when he walked through the streets, Uncle Nearest, Uncle Jack, when they walked through the streets, they both received respect. And and it's a story that I I if you can't tell, I I love I love being able to tell it because I love knowing that it actually existed. And it shows you what's possible. It shows you yes. what work we still have to do. And it yep. shows you that it's not unattainable because it's already happened once and we can replicate it if we just try. Exactly. That's a beautiful story. You have bestowed upon me some of this beautiful whiskey that you've, that you've made. <laughs> uh, I, 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 the more we talk about it and the more we talk about the, the, the path to it, I, I, I've just been sitting here like, oh, I want to drink it so bad. Uh, so, well, you've got, what do you have? Do you have 1884 or 1856 in front of you? I've got 1884 and 1856 in front of me. All right, so I've got 1884, 1856. They don't look that different in color, but the 1884 is lighter because on average, that one is seven years old, uh, seven, eight year old. But on the 1856, it's anywhere between a blend between, for the most part, between eight and 14 years old. So it's gonna be darker. The, the 1856 clocks in at 100 proof, the 1884 clocks in at 93. Uh, but our whiskey, similar to when Nearest was alive, he put the whiskey in at 110 and proofed it down. When he was right. alive, he when he was alive, and even as long as Jack was alive, they never had an actual Rick house that was taller than one story. Really? Most people don't know that. I did not know that. No, he never, the entire time Jack was alive, he never had a Rick house that was taller than one story, which means that if you pull whiskey from the lower floors, 
they are generally proofing down. Right, right. And so if it's going in at 110 and it's proofing down, then, and for us, if you walk through Nearest Green Distillery, if you walk in our Rick house, it's one story. We actually, our ricks are only three high and it's literally one story. And we, at any given moment, if we release from the barrel, it's usually releasing anywhere between 99 proof and 102, 103 proof. Well, we're bottling at 100. So it really is the closest you can get to a barrel strength without paying barrel strength prices. That's the 1856. And then the 1884, the reason why that one comes in at 93 proof is 1884, the year itself, signifies the last year that we believe that Nearest Green put his own whiskey into a barrel. Because at that point, if the 1880 census is correct, and, and Nearest was in fact born in 1820, he would have been 64 at that time when Jack purchased the new location and moved from the Dan Paul farm and moved and bought this, I believe it was a, a beautiful column and wood combination still from Cincinnati, Ohio. Well, Nearest Green for all those years had been using a copper pot steel. I don't know how many 64 year olds you know, but I know quite a few and they are not interested in relearning a craft they already perfected. And I, so, I can't even get my dad to switch over to Netflix from a VCR. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So he did not go with Jack to the new property, but his 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 boys, Eli, George, and Lewis, they did and continued that legacy. And then his grandsons, Charlie and Ott and those guys, they continued the legacy on. But by all accounts, the last year that Nearest would have put his own whiskey into a barrel would have been 1884. And so I reached into Clay Risen, who did the original story. I reached into Fred Minnick, Peggy No Stevens, those who I knew who really had studied this for a long time. I said, listen, when these barrels were going out with Nearest's whiskey in it, where do you think it was, it ended up really being proofed by the time it left the distributor? Because at that time, the, the, the distilleries didn't bottle their own, right? It went out in barrels, the distributor would be the one to proof it down. So I said, where do you really think it was at by the time the distributors got done with it? And the consensus was that it probably, after going in at 110, Proof being proofed down was probably about 100 proof when it went out, so where our 1856 is, but generally the distributors would have added a little bit of water to it up to about 10%, but their consensus was it was likely somewhere between 92 and 94 proof is where it probably landed, so we went with straight in the middle at 93, and mm -hmm. that's the reason for uh, those two different proofs. They definitely have, everything we do has significance and it ties back in, in one way, shape, or form to the story itself. The story is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, cheers to you for telling. Cheers. And I can't wait to try this. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's, it's wonderful. So our master blender, Victoria Edie Butler, she just won master blender of the year for Whiskey Magazine. I think she earned it. Uh, she is has the most amazing palette. She is fifth generation nearest green descendant. So she is the person carrying her great great grandfather's legacy forward through the family. And Victoria, she has a she has a sweeter palette. So she loves the vanillas. She loves the, the caramel, the butterscotches. It has to go down smooth. It cannot right, right. have a bite. And so she is quick to throw out a barrel, not throw out a barrel, but to literally put a barrel back to continue aging. Right, right, right. <laughs> if it has any bite whatsoever. And so because I love to drink barrel strength, because I love to drink uh, it neat. Yeah. 
for me, I love Victoria's blends because I know it'll give me a warm hug yep. going down, yep. but it will not be hot. No. And for me, who's not going most of the time, not going to throw it into a cocktail, I very much so enjoy the sipping it. Oh, I, 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 neat. I, I say however you like it is how you should drink it. If you like it with ice, if you like it mixed, that's fine. I'm right there with you. I'm neat all day long. Uh, yeah. I think the best compliment you can pay this is that it is a true Tennessee whiskey. It is a true, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. Be, <laughs> it's, it's really interesting, but it is that the process that near has helped to perfect of that charcoal filtration, it, it does, I mean, it adds quite a bit of time onto it because you've got to chop the wood down. You've got to let it dry out for about six months. Then you've got to cut it into ricks and you got to burn it. Then you, then you have to filter through it for another 10 to 14 days. So by the time it ever goes into the barrel, it has taken a good six and a half more months than anything that's being put in the barrels in Kentucky. Right. And so I don't know when and how people began looking at Tennessee whiskey as the lesser of the, the bourbons, but Tennessee whiskey by definition is in fact a straight bourbon whiskey, which right. I know throws a lot of people off. It's so weird. It is, it, it, it's a straight bourbon whiskey by legal definition. The filtration removes congeners and fusel oils, the stuff you don't want anyway. It removes that stuff that gives you headaches, but it does not add anything. And so it is still very much so a straight bourbon whiskey that just has to spend more time on the front end. And uh, so for me, I will drink Uncle Nearest over everything all day long. And there's some great, there's some great, great bourbons out there. But for me, I am, I am probably the best spokesperson for Uncle Nearest. This is what I drink. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's absolutely delicious. And I'm right there with you. I, I, when I got started in this, I always thought there was some like uh, distinction between the two other than geography. And it, 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 it almost, when you research it, it's like there was a Coke and Pepsi tug of war between the two where yeah. you've got to be bourbon and, and you were bourbon yep. first. So I'll market myself as something else just so I can yep. stand out. And exactly, as exactly. The, instead of just, instead of just doing what the rest of the world does when we ship and going, this is bourbon. Right, right, right. <laughs> Uh, it's it's good. This is good. <laughs> Nowhere else in the world does anyone call it Tennessee whiskey, no, except here. No. You look at any menu anywhere, and it's it's bourbon. So well, it, yeah. it's like it's not it's not like some uh, some small town in France where they're going. No, no, no. It's bourbon. Right. <laughs> No, we, we actually, we are, I mean, we see ourselves on menus under bourbon, under, under Tennessee whiskey, under American whiskey. And for us, we don't care as long as people know it's premium. Right. That's all we care about. You can put whatever label you want on it. As long as you know what we are serving up is award women winning premium whiskey. That to us is all that matters. Well, it's premium all day long and twice on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, yes, it is this let's let's try the 1856 uh all right i i i you have been so gracious with your time i do not want to hold up your day um, no let's 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 drink this and cheers cheers this is our original see that's what i like right there i i i love a whiskey with personality and i love yeah. a whiskey with weight and yes it's it's got so much oh I love and dimension like you immediately. Yeah. Oh, there's like three or four things 
that are unfolding at the same time. And none of them are overpowering the other one. Oh, it's great. It's like you've got like the sweet comes at you and then you've got the malt. This is fun. This is very, very good. Good. What is the mash? What is the mash? I'm happy you enjoy it. It is 84.88 on both of them. Okay. So you're getting the corn. I love that the malt comes. I love that the barley's coming through. You know, what's interesting, and I get that a lot, is people think that it's a much higher barley malt in the recipe than it actually is. And it is, you know, we we began with a with 84.88 as a sourced, which that mean phenomenal, phenomenal base, right? And we've been laying down 84.88 since the beginning. So we we made the decision that we would not move away from the original. We're like, it's not broke. Why fix it? It doesn't taste like anything else on the market. Exactly. With it, people don't understand how much the blending changes things. And there are, it, across this country, and you know this, there, there, there are probably more brands at this point that source than don't. Mm-hmm. And the the key is starting with really great juice, but then also being able to blend it in such a way that when it's going head to head with everything else, it doesn't taste like anything else. Right. And so it's it's why I love the fact that they've started giving these master blenders their credit because they've been doing form. it with scotch with scotch forever right everybody in scotland is pull is literally blending from a multitude of different distilleries and those master blenders they receive the the credit that they should in scotland but for some reason we haven't done as good of a job here in america but i think when you have folks like victoria edie butler coming forward and it is it is very very clear that what she's doing is, is special I think we're going to start seeing more and more people talking about these master blenders. Well, it's it goes back to that same thing where everybody wants to put people in like a, a category. A yes, it, and everybody wants to put everybody in a box. Everyone wants it to be black and white. In the reality, there's a hell of a lot of gray. That's exactly right. And there's a whole right. lot of us painting outside the lines. That's exactly <laughs> right. A thousand percent agree. And 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 yeah. your blenders are doing just that. Like it's not a. Like, there's a stigma that it's a bad thing, but you go back in the history of whiskey and people have been doing it since the trade ships forever. Oh, forever. I mean, it's, you know, the, the biggest, the biggest bottler of source whiskey in this area was Jack Daniel when he right, was alive. Right, like right. he literally is in court records and they're like, so do you buy this, you know, so-and-so's whiskey from their distillery? And Jack is like, yes. Well, how much of it? All of it. Like, this is not a new thing, people. It is, but but there was also, there was nobody who was able to, to compete with him right, in right. the Americas in terms of whiskey. I don't care where they were from. Nobody was competing with this little five foot two guy coming out of Lynchburg <laughs> whose whiskey was being made by Nears Green. Like nobody was competing with him on that level. And so you can absolutely source. The question is, is what do you do once it comes to you? How do you age it? How do you filter it? How do you blend it? How do you treat it? And we have created a winning formula for ourselves. Oh, you absolutely have. It is, it's very good. I mean, it's award-winning. There's, I mean, the pedigree speaks for itself. It does yeah. the legacy justice, which Thank I think you. is the best compliment you can give it considering that it is full circle and it is a delicious, delicious juice. 
Thank you. You have to bring Victoria on here one day. It I, is, it's a lot of fun to, to hear the story of her family from her perspective. And, and also, I mean, she's just a killer master blender. So oh, please help me make that happen. I would I absolutely adore that. You've been beyond gracious with your time. You are, you, uh, I, I, I know I'm getting old because I say delight a lot lately, <laughs> but you are a 1000% delight. Uh, oh, thank you, Jesse. I appreciate it's it. It's rare that you meet people in today's world that have their priorities in check and have their perspectives right where they need to be. And you're just, you, 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 you put the knowledge of what you're talking about before anything else. And I think that's just, it's, it's a, it's, it's worth applauding. So thank you for coming thank on. You. Thank it, you, it's Jesse. been a pleasure talking to you. And you know, I appreciate you, you allowing me to, to join your show and to be here. And I am going to set you up with Victoria. You will, she is a hoot. You will absolutely love talking to her. Yes, please. All right, Jesse. Cheers. Cheers. There you have it, everybody. That is this week's episode. How awesome is Fawn Weaver? I mean, I just love the passion that comes through when she talks about Uncle Nearest. You can tell that she genuinely cares about this story and that she has gone out of her way to bring the history back to this man and, and, and let him reclaim what he had and let him reclaim uh, the whiskey royalty that he was back when Jack Daniel was alive. So... Kudos to you, Fawn. You're doing a great job. You're making a great whiskey. And we want to thank you so much for being on the program. And uh, everybody that's been listening, thank you guys for listening. It's been so much fun putting these together. And thank you for the feedback. You guys are beyond gracious with some of the nice things that you've been saying. So thank you very much. Uh, keep tuning in. We'll keep bringing you the story behind your favorite whiskey brands. Do the things. Click like. Click subscribe. Leave us a review on iTunes. Do whatever. Do whatever you want to do. Just enjoy the show. Tell a friend. And... Uh, Pour yourself a glass. That would be that. That's something you can do. If you're listening to this and it is uh, Uncle Nearest episode, get yourself a glass of Uncle Nearest before you listen to it. I guarantee you, I, I, from doing it, it means more when you can taste the history behind the glass while you're hearing somebody tell you about it. So, if anything else, just do that. Go out and buy a bottle of this juice and enjoy it while you while you listen to an episode. Uh, probably have to do it next time if you. Do didn't have a bottle in front of you when you listen to this episode so but it, it really helps when I go back through I re-listen to all of them before I put them out and I do I go and I get a bottle of of what I was drinking when they were talking me through what I was tasting and it is like muscle memory there's something very cool about being able to drink the whiskey while learning the history behind it so uh it's maybe that's just me nerding out but Either way, it's how I do it, and I'm enjoying it. So thank you, guys. We'll be back next week. Next week, we have Spirits of French Lick on the program. Buckle up, Sonny Jim, because these guys, Alan and Jolie, we have a freaking ball, man. I mean, this is there's not one topic that we don't cover, I don't believe, in that entire conversation. We go all over the place. So had a blast with them. Look forward to that next week. And, yeah. That's it. Good episode. Great, great lady. Very, very fun. Very smart. Can't wait to talk to her again. Can't wait to see what Uncle Nearest does next. All right, guys, that's it for me. Have a good one. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.